This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here in Asia Torah, in the Holy City, overlooking the Western Wall, and more importantly, the Temple Mount. Today's class probably won't get a ton of views because most people outside of Israel are having Yom Tov, Shani. They're in the second day of Yom Tov which is really the third day if you include Shabbos. So let's just say they smell. <laughs> I'm surprised they don't. I'm surprised they call putting on cologne a Mexican shower. It should be called the Orthodox Jew shower. Okay. Um, so we have too many people who are working kind of uh, uh, mind-numbing jobs to make money uh, for too many hours. So when it comes time to actually enjoying your life, you're you're you know you're you're just kind of postponing it to vacation times and and other uh, breaks. You know when you have some time off and the so when when are you supposed to enjoy? And many people, you'll notice that the only time they ever take off is when they catch a cold. And that's their, that's their little secret way of... Because the cold, like, no, no one would admit they want to catch a cold, but colds do serve you. They serve you the chance to, uh, to rest for a few days. And, but there's no reason to catch a cold. What we do instead is we figure out what we enjoy in our lives. And, and you do that. And you do it regularly. It's something that's not some. You don't skip it. Uh, it's just not a negotiable. So many people are skipping the things they would love to do most, and or and some really postpone it. Like meaning, oh, when I make enough money, then I'll start doing the things I love to do, and that's really a nasty thing. I I know a guy this year who accrued ten years of vacation time. Meaning he almost had an entire year's paid vacation, and he did this for 10 years straight, never taking vacation. And guess what? The company went bankrupt. No vacation. And now he's just like kind of freaking out because he doesn't have his work, nor does he have a paid vacation. And he should have taken his vacations during those years. Um... Western civilization is is uh, a bit addicted to uh, to the system of working and postponing pleasure. Work, postpone pleasure. Work, postpone pleasure. And it's uh, it's not a good way to go. And what you might want to look towards is having micro pleasures happen during your week. Uh, for example, you may like bathing or uh, or meditation or other types of alternative prayer, other than just the three times a day we pray, doing alternative prayer. I do that almost every day. I did a good 45 minutes of uh, alternative prayer today, and which means just doing your own thing in prayer. And the, But when you do that, you, you really build your immune system. Uh, because you're telling your body that you're, you're that I love you. I'm giving you time. I'm giving you space, and I'm giving you what you love. And then your body says, "Oh, okay. So let's be friends." And then your body generally will leave you alone as far 
and you'll, your immune system goes up a lot. I've found that, that people just stop getting sick altogether, meaning they, they're able to knock out catching colds for years and years and years and years at a time, meaning to the point where they can't even remember the last time they, were, they caught a cold. And the way they did it was just by always being kind to themselves and not postponing the uh, postponing what you love. Now, what about mo- what about making money doing what you love? So, to do that, the first thing you need to do is find a purpose that's going to be um, meaningful. You have to have a meaningful purpose. But how are you supposed to find a meaningful purpose? Well, there's a couple ways to do it. One is just a very smart way is, is see where the vacuum uh, where, where the vacuum is, meaning meaning see where the world needs you. Like where does the world need you, and go f- get busy fulfilling that need. Now you can't just do that because you've got also your own personal character and, and style of doing things. So it could be where the biggest need is doesn't need you, but chances are most places where there's a big need you're going to be able to contribute in some way. So figure out where the need is. Let's get an example. Who's got an example where the world needs us today? Where is it like a big need? Any ideas? Big need? Spirituality. Okay, spirituality. Yeah. That, what? Clean water. Okay, that could be a big need, yeah. Something like more on the internet. Holier internet. Okay, that might be a big need. Holy internet. You just addiction to your phone in general. Uh, Helping with uh, people addicted to phones in general. Okay, what else? Science what else? Science research. There's a big need there. I think so. Like cure cancer. Uh huh. Okay, like curing diseases and stuff like that. Okay, that's a, that's a huge. That's not a very. Uh, that one's pretty saturated with people right now. And it's saturated with money and universities and like this. People are throwing a lot of money and a lot of people at that. So we're looking for something that's that no one's there, or very few people are there. Yeah. Uh, uh, Hi, Sarah. Yes, you got it right. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. Great, great, amazing. Just, uh, I was afraid to skip that part, but um, you should never underestimate working for free. Now, that sounds a little strange in monetizing in a class about monetizing your special, you know, contribution. But working for free is amazing. It's just. If you're willing to work hard and work for free, you'd be shocked what happens later. <laughs> Meaning, you had the perfect example. Is is you you? I don't know what it is, but you just get really good at everything going on around there, and you're better than the people making the money. And then they and the boss realizes, that, like, here I got. I'm paying this one, you know, eighty thousand dollars a year, and this one volunteering is like doing a lot better job over here. It's just a matter of time before you, you've got a job over there. Actually, I got my job with Aish just by saying yes. 
I just said yes. I, I was working in L.A., and my job got kind of uh, canceled. <laughs> I was the campus rabbi at UCLA, and my my job just kind of... They, they, they did a whole, like, overhaul of HLA and saw that campus is not where they're going to be right now, and which is kind of crazy to not go to campus. But for whatever reason, they were going to take a break on campus while I was the campus rabbi, which means they're taking a break on me. And so... So I got fired, which was amazing, because if you get fired, you have a severance contract. And so my life was paid for. Uh, Rabbi Weinberg, who built this place, was afraid I would get hired by someone else, and I almost did. And he said, get him back to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was not hiring. Jerusalem, have you guys noticed there's an epidemic of rabbis in Jerusalem? We're having a rabbi epidemic. So they were not hiring here at all. So what I do, I thought to myself, hmm, I have a year of severance, meaning I have a year of salary from them having terminated my job in L.A. What if I just come into this building and just say yes to every single thing they ask? Well, within a month or two, I worked in every single department in this place. Every department. Whether it was discovery or fellowships or uh, essentials, this program, or or, uh, in the base midrash or the, the intermediate students and and no matter what they asked for, I said yes. Run a Shabbaton? Yes. Whatever you want, his answer is yes. So, so after a while, I was run, I was, you found me in every, it was like, where's Waldo? I was in every picture. And, you know, I, be, I became Waldo. And, and so then I timed it perfectly with like the, I think it was after the dot-com crash in 2001, but it was just when things were uh, picking up. And like finally, like the money was being donated properly to Torah institutions was exactly when I said, "Okay, I've been free. Now I'm not free." And that, and so now I'm working here for some twenty years since then, or eighteen years since then. So it was, uh, it's been uh, working for free. Never underestimate the power of working for free. You can do with less working for free, and eventually you'll be paid. Now. There's, um, let's just go in order of steps. Step one is ego death. You have to have an ego death to make a difference in the world. You have to have an ego death to make a big difference. How do you kill your ego? So there's two ways to kill your ego. One way is to make an absolute fool out of yourself. Have you tried that? So you want to kill your ego by doing uh, doing a lot of embarrassing stuff until people are just until you you just there's nothing left of you. So so do a lot of embarrassing things. I've done a lot of crazy embarrassing things, and like uh, one of the things I I tried uh, it doesn't work anymore. But I, I tried telling a room of two hundred people that I was giving a talk to that I had no idea what I was talking about in the middle of the talk, meaning I mean I totally forgot what I was talking about. So I figured, like, instead of me trying to figure out what I was talking about, I'm just going to embarrass myself and tell the whole crowd that I've actually, I actually forgot what I was talking about. Well, that no longer became nerve-wracking because uh, when, I, when I, asked, I asked them, I, tur- I said, I turn to you. What is the subject of this class? Because I've forgotten. And the, you know what happened? No one knew. Excellent. No one knew. No one knew what I was talking about. And I've been talking about, I've been talking for about a half hour. 
You know, they flew me in for this. I was flown in for the talk. You know, I was flown into Denver to give this talk. And no one knew what I was talking about. So, so that didn't work anymore. I mean, but I used it for that one moment to like get totally embarrassed in front of 200 people and forget what I'm talking about in the middle of my talk. I never got scared about that again because I, now I know nobody knows what I'm talking about. So, so it's hard to get scared about such a thing. The anyway, but do do crazy moves, walk backwards down streets, um, you know, go ask for free stuff, you know, in st- store after store after store, you know, can I have a free ice cream? Can I have a free burger? Can I f- can I please flip my own burger? Um, tell your rabbi and your yeshiva that you'd like to give the class today, you know, and you know, tell you know. He says yes. You're in trouble. So just just do all do all these out of the box moves, one after the other, after the other, after the other, until you just completely knock knock it out. You know, you can you can knock out your ego if you just be keep doing crazy stuff. Um, I'd say the person I've met in my entire life, and I've met a lot of people over my career, who's done the most crazy things is just walked in the room. Actually, Moshe, we're talking about. Doing crazy acts, out of the box moves. <laughs> oh no! Did you just have something go wrong? Yeah. Shh, listen to this. You want to tell? Really? He tried to kill you. <laughs> he tried to kill you with the motorcycle or with his hands? All the tourists gathered around. <laughs> so it's funny I'm talking about this because of all the people I've met, years and years of meeting people, who walks in the room? Moshe, who like probably not, if not daily, every other day, every third day, you do something totally out of the box, and and you're on your way back from doing that right now. So, but there's nothing left for him that ridicule can, you know, affect really at this point. Yeah. Isn't ego killing also like, it could be like a realization that anything like that I'm trying to control with my life and ego realizing that like, it doesn't work out. Anything I try to run doesn't work out. That's why I turn to be a god. That's another ego death. Yeah, not everyone has such mazel that everything doesn't work out. You know, that's called shallow mazel. <laughs> Okay, that doesn't have mazel, shalom mazel. So, so the, yeah, that's certainly ego death. Uh, but it also creates great doubt in your heart of whether anything's going to work out if everything you try isn't working out. But uh, that's another amazing question is, what do you do when nothing works out? What's, what's God trying to tell you? Maybe we'll talk about that in a minute. Okay, but lots of embarrassing acts. You got that, ladies? So out-of-the-box stuff. Now, if you're a Jew who looks like me, or you're an a observant woman who looks like you, it's not so appropriate necessarily to be doing crazy moves. So you have to just be more creative. Just be creative. You know, go buy a bottle of water in the store over here and just walk around with cups and just, can I pour you a cup of water? A cup of water, please? Can I pour you a cup of water? Most people are just like, 
thank you. Yeah, and you just you you only need one bottle because rarely anyone takes. So you just keep walking around. As far as they're concerned, you have a whole case over there. But everyone's like, no, thank you, no, thank you. You know, or or you know what you do? You drink off the bottle. And you're like, <laughs> would you like some water? You know, it, that would be even better. Is is to lip the bottle first and then and then. Uh, Um, okay, so that's one thing. An- another thing what you want to do is uh, learn to love failure. you got to chew on the fat of failure. Love failure. Love failure. You should... In, uh, in um, Facebook, in their headquarters, they have on their screen, it'll say, fail hard, on their screensavers and stuff. And there's signs around the offices that say, fail hard, fail hard. Because obviously Zuckerberg learned this secret to success. And that is if you're not failing, you're probably not pushing very hard. You know, if you're not failing, that means you're playing safe. And safe is a great way to be mediocre and never make a difference in life. Whereas failing hard would, um, you know, you want to fail hard. And just kind of move in towards a lot of failures. And... Obviously, you're not trying to fail, but you should be pushing so hard that failure is inevitable in, in, uh, and repetitively. And just love it because I'm going for a fail here. Like, I'm going for the fail. And you can push hard enough and get that fail. Yeah. Is it bad if everything's going right? Um, that's back to the Mazel question. It could be a bad sign that you're not really uh, pushing the envelope. But it can also be a really good mazel. Yeah, so it's hard to tell. I, I, it just really depends on what, on your mazel. If you have really good mazel and you're pushing really hard, it's going to just keep succeeding. Yeah. All right. Um, so we got ego death. Then we got um, then we got where's the vacuum? I did it in opposite order, but you start with ego death, then you go to. The opposite order is the opposite order would be to figure out what's always bothered you about the world. What bothers you about this world? Where is the where is your contribution going to come in? So you want to think about that. Is uh, what's wrong with the world and how can you fix it? Everyone's going to have a different thing that bothers them about the world, and um, you just want to think about that. Like figure out what would make your life meaningful meaning where is the world messed up and how amazingly meaningful would your life be if you could fix it in some way in a second we're going to talk about monetization but right now we're just on contribution so uh what's a what's a place you'd like to see the world fixed where do you guys want to you already gave me some ideas but where do you want to fix the world okay where do you want to fix the world um the the world Physical fitness goals and everything like that, they always fail. And that shouldn't be like that. Okay, great. Physical fitness, yeah. People's knowledge of where they come from, their history. Okay, background. That'd be a cool one. Yeah. Anyone else got something where they want to fix the world? Yeah. Well, this was Hi, sir. Out 
and um, I, I couldn't take it. So we used to have, I used to tell people, after I started learning Shemir's Lashon, I used to just, I had classes on that, and then, and then I used to tell people that this is not, you know. Okay, so. And then the Chafetz Chaim opened up in Muncie, and then they're making nice money. <laughs> people working there. Uh-huh. Yeah. To wake up people so they can look for facts, see where like quotes come from. Like for instance, uh, what I'm saying it actually says. Uh-huh. And other things like that make them think. Very good. And and you you already said that your purpose was to take people who had gotten brainwashed in uh by uh, I think specifically you said the church. Um yeah. Um I was in Greek Orthodox Christianity and for the, I read the Ten Commandments for the first time. I was in my late thirties, and after reading the second commandment and uh, the fourth commandment, I knew that my religion was garbage. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's pretty strong. Um, second commandment being, you can't have any other. You can't ascribe power to any other being, so that would knock out Jesus, I guess. And then, uh, and then you had uh, the fourth commandment was that you're actually supposed to keep the Shabbos. Which is on the which is on Friday night Saturday. Oh, it is Saturday. Oh, because the the heat the Latin is Saturday. <laughs> they also don't have a definition of what to do what it means to keep it. Wow, amazing. Are you born Jew or are you converted? Uh, I'm in the process of converting to Orthodox Judaism. I, I woke up on the third day of Hanukkah. I thought that was ironic. God has a sense of humor. That it was Hanukkah. Yeah. Greek or Greek. You had been what doing? What for the last two years? Uh, I had been following the, like, the, the Feast of the Lord, the Holy Days. Yeah. Uh, when I read the, when was it, uh, Jeremiah, where it says, don't be like the heathen that cut the tree and deck it with silver and gold. Don't be afraid of them. They shall do neither good nor evil. I stopped celebrating Christmas with that one. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it funny? that uh, Very few people know that it mentions Christmas trees right there. I Did you guys know that Christmas trees are mentioned in Tanakh? As like, don't do that. <laughs> Where was that? Is that Isaiah also? Where is that? Jeremiah. So in, in Jeremiah, it mentions Christmas trees by names. Like, don't cut off those trees and decorate them. And you know, I mean, just think about just the whole thing of like cutting a tree is pretty nasty, uh, nasty thing to do in general like what are you doing cutting a tree off its root I mean would you ever walk into a pine forest and say hey let's let's cut one of those things off you know we'll put it in our living room I mean we'll be the first person ever with a pine tree in his living room and your 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 friend's like but it'll die and you're like oh details you know Okay, flowers not a pine tree growing for, you know. <laughs> it's different. It's different. 
And I'm no big. I'm not a big supporter of flowers either. You know why we buy flowers? For, besides the fact that they're beautiful, we buy flowers for our spouses to show them because, that we're willing to completely waste our money for her. <laughs> and to that, that's not a waste of money. The money we're spending is for her. That's not a waste of money. But to us, men like money that makes money. Men like money that works for them. Men like money that comes with intrinsic value. The fact that you just bought something that's dying, if the second you cut it, is showing that men are willing to part with their own desire that their money should have value. Because it has no value. You just cut it. It's dying now. So it's, it's less value the second you cut it, and it's only going down. A man doesn't like to do that with his money. But the fact that it makes our wives happy, we're going to do it. And that's, that's one of the great signs of love. And another is jewelry. <laughs> like, why would, I, why would I ever do that? Why would I ever buy this little thing that... It's, and it's so expensive. And so the fact that we part with our money for that is not because we're interested in the thing. We're interested in what it does for our wife when we give it to her. So you get that? So men realize that it's worth it. It's worth it. They show those kind of sacrifices. Another thing, men, while you're listening is... Uh, is uh, if your wife ever asks you to do something that is clearly against your will, you should not fight. Just do it. You'll never have to do it again. She just wants to see you're willing to part with what's important to you. See, the man who puts his foot down and he's going to like put a stake right there, a stake in the, in the dirt saying that's, that's, that's non-negotiable. You'll see. You're going to be pulling that stake up. She's going to make you pull that. She, she doesn't want... Nothing comes before her. And if you li- really live that way, she will make sure you never miss a minion. You never miss going out for beers with your friends. You never miss a game. You never miss nothing. But the second you say, this is more important, you're like, oh, I don't change diapers. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're going to be changing more diapers than you can believe. You know, but if you just get in there and start changing diapers... You know, I don't know, put on gloves or something, wear a mask, you know. Go change the diaper, she'll be saying, or while you're changing the diaper, she'll be saying, like, what kind of wife am I? You know, while you stay home from Mincha, because she's like, can't you just stay home? You're like, well, it's going to go to Mincha, and she's like, please, I need you. So what happens? You stay home. While you, and you're doing Mincha, like, you know, against your wall of your house, inside your living room. While you're doing mincha, she's eating her heart out. She's like, what kind of wife am I? He married me knowing that I was going to create a Torah home for him. And here he's praying mincha in the house. What kind of wife am I? So, but the guy who says, I'm going to mincha, he'll, he, he'll wind up never going to mincha in the future. She's going to keep him home every mincha. So, anyway, but that's the lesson you get. You get that lesson from flowers and jewelry and... You never put anything in front of your wife and then she'll never let anything get in the way of what you want if she sees that you're that dedicated. What do you ladies think of that advice? It's wise advice. Eh? 
First of all, they're going to forget everything I said, and you guys are going to remember. <laughs> so we're all set. <laughs> I know I'm married. So I could say this to my wife, and two days later, I can just start doing, doing it. Okay, now, I'm married to a smart author, you know, like editor, you know, like teacher. The beauty of women is they live in the moment much more than men do. I'm not talking about women who are like freaking out about things that are like future stuff. That makes women crazy. But, uh, you know, like an event, wedding, a bar mitzvah, like that. That can totally take a woman down. But, but, uh, but the general being in the moment, you guys do a lot, women do a lot better than we do. That's why we started this class, was postponing our lives because of our careers. Okay, um, here we go. Ego death was the first thing. What are we going to do to get out of ego death? A lot of out of the box acts. And lots of... Lots of... Failure. Failure. Fail hard. Okay, guys, say it. Out of the box. Out of the box. Failure. Failure. And these are the things you got to love. And the... Uh, maybe I'll give a little... Uh, I mean, I've said this a million times, so I never know when to say these things, but I was once parking my Taylor guitar in the first class, cl- first class closet on an LL flight. And uh, there was no one in first class and there was no one in business class. It was like a jungle in the economy. And I said to the stewardess, I said, would you say there's a lot of competition at the top? And she said... Yeah, a lot of competition at the time. And I said, well, it doesn't look like there's a lot of competition around here. There's no one in first class. I mean, they're probably in the lounge waiting to get announced that it's almost time to go. And there's no one in business class. But even if there were people here, there were only uh, eight seats in, bi- in first. There were 20 seats in business. And there's no one around. Where's all the competition? In the front of the plane or the back of the plane? The back of the plane. And that's the nature of life is all the competitions at the bottom. Because very few people have the wisdom to chew on the fat of failure, to fail hard. And very few people have the wisdom to put their necks out there for ridicule and embarrassment. And it's the people who are willing to to put themselves out there and risk embarrassment. The people who are willing to put themselves out there and fail are the ones who sit up front. Now, by the way, I just put it as, it was just a good story. No one should think that sitting business or first class makes you successful. Um, I'll tell you the truth. I wish I could always sit business class or first class, but with the people in economy. No offense to anyone watching this who sits in business with me sometimes. You're a fine young man. But the, uh, the people in the back generally have better character than the people in the front. And, the, uh, and that's the one thing I dread is uh, being with a bunch of snobs on the flight. But the truth is, I just want to get some sleep, so I go to sleep. But some flights, you're up for a couple hours. And, uh, and I mean, people are really friendly, but they're only being friendly because you're also in business. You know. Okay. Um, let's keep moving. Step number three, 
is to think about your special gift, discover your special gift. What's called in Hebrew, koichas ha-nefesh, kochot ha-nefesh. What is your special gift? You have the gift of gab, you have the gift of networking, you have a gift of writing, you have the gift of, of uh, public speaking, you have the gift of, uh, of marketing. Some people just know how to market stuff. So what's, what's your special gift? You gotta figure out your special gift. Shouldn't be a big stretch. You ever seen someone in a field where it was a stretch for them? Like they were in a line of work that was a stretch? That's not good. You don't wanna spend your life stretching unless you're a yoga teacher. Yeah, you do not want to be spending hours of your day not in the zone. It's okay to stretch a bit here and there. Like if you got to stretch for an hour, fine. You know, like for example, everyone has to deal with accounting at the end of the year with their money, what they made. And, you know, of course we hire accountants for that so we don't have to stretch. But let's say you couldn't afford an accountant, so you're going to have to stretch. Okay, so you do some stretching at the end of the year. But to live full time in a stretch mode is going to be really lousy for one's, one's well-being. So that's why, number three, first was ego death, second was, was, no, second was what is the need you're coming to fulfill. You need to find that need in society. And number three was your special skill. And what you do is you apply your special skill to that need. You just apply it to that need. So who wants to share with me a special skill? Who's got a special skill? What's your special skill? Could be anything. Yeah, what's your special skill? Eating. <laughs> 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 pretend I didn't hear that. What's your special yeah, what's your special skill? Drawing, okay, excellent. Excellent. And what's what's uh what's the Need in the world. It's number two, the need in the world. Oh, um, I think that like the history aspect. Wow. Okay. So people don't have a context of where they come from, and her special skill is drawing. So what do you get from that? What can you put together like that? Yeah. Animated videos on Tanakh. Excellent. Excellent. So I have a funky one for you. Ready for this? Yeah. You can do it on the side, but I bet you'll be able to monetize it in no time. Is um, you get people's family trees. They give you the full family tree. You do some research, get some old photos or whatever you can, and then you 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 draw the 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 back. You draw the ancestry of this person. As far back as you can go, and then you, and then you put them like let's say it's a young family, so you put them, you draw them into the picture, maybe a little in the foreground, and then but they see this big thing behind them, of all these people, and like it's this amazing context for them, and and then suddenly like the kids are thinking twice whether they're going to marry Gentiles or something because they're like, I I'm coming from that, and you make them quite a big one like scale them. You know, make them gorgeous. People put them in their dining rooms, and you know, where they like they see their whole ancestry right in front of them, and they're like making new. Deci- they're going to decide differently because of that kind of work. 
And after a while, I mean, you you could just be the main drawer and have other people drawing for you because it could get popular. You know, people are going to want these things. So. And that's easily... Yeah, you better write that down quick. Uh, I've also... Anyone who wants to write a screenplay, i got a screenplay that would be, like, huge if you, anyone wants to hear about it if you want to write a screenplay. Um, someone else, who's got a skill? Yeah, what's your skill? Um, I think I get two ways of this. Should I be more broad or more open? Broad. I mean, I meant, I meant more broad or more like closed. Broad. Uh, specifically. Uh, whatever, tell me both. Uh, so, one is the physical. The, the Do you mind if I film you just to make it more interesting for Paul? How you doing, Paul? Paul, by the way, you can pitch pitch in here. We got a, like a life coach here watching this. Where are you, by the way, Paul? Kind of somewhere, somewhere watching somewhere. Yeah. Okay, um, good. Everyone else can wave. I guess it's, it's just the middle area. Well, I guess uh, it's a kind of. Oh, you're in Yom, who's in Yomta right now? That's you're, a good way to catch them. Yeah. No, you're allowed to sit in class. Shavuos, Yomta is great. Guys, don't move. Don't move. You in Yomta? So, <laughs> my skills, the skills in between, I guess, like the, the physical exercising, yeah. um, being consistent with it, and um, psychologically talking out with people, figuring out where they need to kind of work on themselves in a life coaching kind of way, I guess. Um, and my thing that I feel like people are missing is that connection to their purpose and their meaning, spirituality. Um, mm. and kind of developing some sort of system between the physical and the mental uh, combine those two so people can kind of hone in on what they need to do by working out, exercising, meditation and also by by working on their mental whatever their traumas are or Amazing That sounds amazing, I love it um, You might want to, just if I can offer some advice is, uh, to um that kind of work, you need to, you, you yourself need to go to the masters to be the master, you know? So how old are you? Thank you. Perfect. Don't do us anything but that for five years. Meaning what work out? No. <laughs> Everything you just described, go to the top guys in those fields both in the personal development and in the uh, physical I development. I just apply for uh, like a master's degree in like, the training that I do, gymnastic things Excellent, excellent. But don't, for, don't let the school, don't count on them. Like, right. also go to the masters and put yourself at their feet and learn from them. That's, that's a big part of this particular thing you want to do. Your, who trained you all the training you got is going to mean so much for it. So, so you want to go to like the top people. Don't spare a dime. I mean, even if it's Boku Dolores, how's my French? Even if it's a lot of money, Boku Dolores. Even if it's a lot of money, just spend it. You're, you're going to make it back big time. Yeah, don't spare a dime on that. You know, Thirty grand, something like that. Masters can be pretty expensive too. Maybe we want to skip the masters and just go to all the masters. You know, like don't give yeah, don't give the don't give the school your money. Give it to the masters themselves. Are you going to Wharton? Is Wharton expensive? 
Wharton is a business school. It's one of the top business schools forever and ever. It's in Penn? University of Pennsylvania. Yeah. I have a friend who graduated Wharton. He's a really cool guy. He makes a lot of money. What? He makes a lot of money. I think he does. <laughs> but he's still a full-on hippie. <laughs> this is why everyone loves him. So, okay. Um, next is... Um, Monetization. Well, not monetization. Next is to give it a title. So everyone, give it a title. What's your thing? You guys, are you been thinking about your thing? Are you just sitting there and listening to this, like, yeah. just kind of getting through the Yom Tov Shani? Don't do that. You start again. Okay, we're going back to the beginning. <laughs> Ego death. Out of the box and so a lot of out of the box moves and a lot of failing. Okay, got it. Now, second is. Where, what's the need of the world? You, you thought about the need of the world? What bothers you about the world? You're only going to... See, you're all, you, you know what you've been doing all your life? You've been trying to get rid of all your little problems. Social problems, little money issue here, there, and everywhere. Maybe like your weight or something. You're, like, you got, you're always dealing with little problems. You know, maybe a little, little uh, uh, acne or something. Like, you know, you're always trying to get rid of your problems. You understand what I mean? Get, trying to get rid of your problem? So what I'm trying to do is give you one big problem. You need one big problem that's worth your life. Because all those little problems are all those little problems are stupid compared to one big problem. Moses had like one big problem. How do I get these knuckleheaded people from Egypt to Israel? <laughs> How do you do that? You know, besides the three-day walk, you know, when God says, well, we're going to be doing this over 40 years. <laughs> Can you imagine Moses going to sleep that night? You know, staring at the top of his tent. You sure? <laughs> 40 years? Hey, we didn't discuss that at the burning bush. You know, <laughs> what happened? You know, that's, that's like quite a big, like his job description just like, I don't know what percentage is, 40 years on three days, you know, but it just went up a lot of percentage of uh, what he is going to be up against. And uh, 40 years. So you need a big problem. We all need one big problem. And you know what happens when you have one big problem? What happens to all your little problems? Yeah, they really disappear. They become not worth much attention. They're just not that important anymore. So when you have one big problem, your little problems are not really a big deal anymore. Who cares about this stuff? Like, I'm, I'm dealing with a big problem. You want to know what else happens? Is when there finally is a big problem, like there could be big problems. Things happen in your life. You know, people live a long life, have a lot of stuff happen during that time. You know, how many people will you ever meet in their 40s or 50s who didn't have a couple years of some really rough situations? Well, guess what? People who have one big problem that they're here to fix, meaning they're, they got real strong purpose and what they're here for, when those actual problems hit, which could be death or illness or all kinds of things going on in their lives, family and stuff, it's, it's, all, it's also pales. It's not nothing, but it's... It's nothing compared to their task, their purpose. So as long as you're really focused on the purpose of life, so now your life's full of meaning, 
and now your life's powerful, and now your life's exciting, and it requires like you got to use all your brains because because times evolve and the problems evolving, and like you may have actually solved some of it, so now you got to look for other aspects that are wrong. You don't want to be in a situation where you solved your problem because <laughs> now what? You you got to be evolving with the world and and constantly answering the world's problems. But if you do that, you will have a lifeline your whole life, no matter what goes down. Now, I know there's a lot of people in this room that are scared about the things that happen to people in life. We see in the news, we hear about stuff. We're all scared about that stuff. None of us want to be that. I was at a funeral for a seven-year-old last week of a friend of mine's kid, a friend of mine's grandkid. I'm, I'm now a grandfather, so it was, uh, you know, we have same age kids and same similar age grandkids, and he buried his grandkid. I know his son, I saw his son grow up. I've known his son since he's born. His son, he's never, no one guessed his son was going to be burying his kid. But, but he, um, they're fine. I mean, they're cry. they cried intensely and they're crying and their lives will never be the same. But they're just, these guys are focused. They are focused people with extreme amounts of purpose and meaning in their lives and great dedication and contribution. And so you don't have to worry about them. You don't have to worry about them, nor their, nor the wife, the wife who's uh, lost her, her child. Her life will never be the same. And But she is someone who is just filled with purpose, and that will never go away. And all these poor millennials out there all these kids out there with these meaningless lives, they can't suffer through something like that. They can barely handle a breakup, you know, their boyfriend-girlfriend breakup. Like, people are, like, blown up high schools because they <laughs> couldn't get a date, you know. And uh, the, the millennials, like, they, they just can't, they can't, they can't live with themselves. They can't tolerate themselves. And uh, and uh, that and that's that meaninglessness that comes with not having your contribution in the world, and and now you see, and you think that taking on the responsibility of a contribution is going to be a lot of tasks. You know, your inbox will never be empty if you really take on something big. But where are you going to be focused on the heavy responsibility of it, or the power and beauty of making a difference. Which one you want to focus on? Now, millennials are going to look at the responsibility and run the other way. But where do they run to? They run to the bathroom with their smartphone. You know? They're going to run the other way, but they're just going to go hide from the world and get more and more depressed. Whereas someone who runs for the responsibility finds out that what they thought was a lion was a pussycat. It was just a little kitten. Be, why? Because if you're focused on the meaning you get out of living a life full of contribution, so the fact that that came with a bunch of responsibility is irrelevant. And the responsibility is just not your focus. Your focus is on the difference you're making. And you never feel overworked. You know, everyone's like, wow, you're so busy, you work so hard, and then you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I never worked a day in my life. 
I live with the most meaning. And I get to go to sleep every night knowing I made a difference. What could be better than that? And, and now are you afraid of death? This we covered last week. Are you afraid of death? Who do you think is more afraid of death, according to sociological studies? Someone who has a purpose in life? Or is, and, you know, therefore is living powerfully? Or is someone who never found the purpose of life and so they're kind of dead already? You know, the, those smartphone junkie dead people. Yeah? Who, who's, who's more afraid of death? They, they, they can study this. They've done the studies. You can Google it after class. Who's more afraid of death? The people with the, who are living big with purpose in life? And, or the people who are, have disappeared and crumpled up and folded into, you know, the, the couple inches of screen they got. You know, who's more afraid of death? Which one? The people with purpose. Let me explain why. I'll explain for you. They're living big and they're going to die. Exactly. They're doing so much good. No right. Whereas the person who's crumpled up into a screen shouldn't be afraid of death. He's already dead. Yeah. So the answer is it's ironic, but they actually did the study and they found out that the bigger your purpose is, the bigger you live, the less afraid of death you are. And the bigger you, and the less you live, I mean, the more dead you are here, the more you're afraid of death. Now the question is why? Because you realize you have a purpose, at least you did something in the world, but when you don't have any purpose, you need to start your life. Excellent answer. That's one really good answer. Because you're... You keep thinking you're going to get to the purpose and you're afraid to die without having gotten it. But of course, they never do, by the way. <laughs> Unless they hear these classes, they probably will never, you know, turn that light on, you know, get the thing started. But, um, but here's the deeper reason why. The deeper reason why is the ego death. Is that someone who's already had ego death, well, what's left? If, you're, if your stature, if your ego, if your... Arrogance has been killed by embarrassment and failures and, and, and now all that's left is you're just like, what's left? What's left of you? Okay, you're contributing, that's good. But what's left of you when your ego's dead? What's left of you if your ego died? If, if all your self-image is gone? You know the term self-image? Self-image? If all that image you created about yourself, self-image. Well, self-image is the biggest joke in the world. Self-image. What's the word image short for? Imagine. Yeah, it's your imaginary self. You know, if your if your little imaginary self that you created for everyone to like you, or at least not mess with you if you're a more aggressive type, but that self-image you created is going to die, and that's scary because you're living just in the world of self-image because you're too afraid of ridicule and you're too afraid of failure. To, to have your life worth anything, to have your life mean anything, to have made a difference. Because if you go make a difference, there's going to be ridicule and there's going to be failures. And so it's going to be a direct assault on the self-image. And so I'm just going to hide in my little phone here and crumple up into the corner and live a meaningless life. But I'm scared to death of death because, because the self-image that I created will die. It will cease to exist. Whereas someone who has a special purpose, they have, their self-image has already suffered a million deaths. I mean, it, it, it died already. You're already dead. If you have a special purpose in life, you're already dead. Meaning the self-image is dead. So you're not afraid of death because you're already living in the spirit world. People who have special causes in life live in the spirit world. They don't have fear of 
death because death is the ultimate portal to the spirit world. I mean, what's the ultimate portal? What's the ultimate doorway to the spirit world? Death. Where your body is no longer in the way. You're not getting hijacked by your thoughts and wondering whether you're thin enough or good looking enough or whatever enough, you know, enough, 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 or not enough, not enough, not enough. As soon as that brain shuts up, no offense, but as soon as your brain shuts up, otherwise called death, now you're truly admitted into the world of spirit. Now you're really in the spirit world. Well, someone who lives contribution, someone who has a purpose in life, someone who's making a difference in life is already in the spirit world. They live spirit. So they're not afraid of death. Death is exciting. Yeah, I know it sounds like I'm starting a death cult here. <laughs> we don't want to die earlier than we need to because I'm here to contribute and I want to contribute and God gave me this gift. I got a body, I got a mind, I got heart and I want to contribute as much as I can of my body, mind and heart while I'm here so I'm not trying to die earlier but but death is, is, is a welcome you know thing to someone who lives in the world of spirit it's not afraid of death whereas someone who lives in self image, someone who lives in body someone who lives in fear is going to be tremendously afraid of dying because everything he knows or she knows of herself is going to be taken away. Because she's made her life, or he's made his life about this world. And you want to hear a freaky thing? Is that, is that, do you guys realize that someone could do this whether they're observant or secular? You get that? It doesn't matter how observant you are. You can be a fully observant Jew and be living exactly like every meaningless life millennial out there. Right? Don't we all know that? Like, it doesn't matter. If, I mean, it's wonderful that you keep Shabbat, and it's wonderful you keep kosher, and it's beautiful that you pray and you go to the hotel and do all these nice things, and please God, you'll have a beautiful home with Shabbos tables and stuff. That's all great stuff, and may you be blessed to have them, but you could also live a meaningless life at the same time. I mean, you have ten times more meaning than a secular person because you're living a very rich Jewish life. But this purpose of your own self having been created meaning that you were created unique from the guy next to you from the guy next to you from her from her you're created unique why what, what's that about so that we don't have really over the millennials to find our own special purpose as an individual we don't have that over millennials millennials and us suffer that until we finally get courageous enough to die now I don't mean physically Die now, ego. Now's your chance. Like, kill it now, or you'll spend your whole life being afraid of death. Go the quick route. And get do a lot of out-of-the-box stuff. And fail hard. And get your death over. So that you can start to live. Would you like some seltzer? That's very, very nice and out-of-the-box. <laughs> That's a good out-of-the-box. Thank you. No, I'm fine. Okay? So, I'm able to watch whoever's like not keeping second day yumped of in America. You know, <laughs> I know a lot of the people coming online, you know. Like, they're not even in Israel. <laughs> so, um, and then, of course, the title of our class was Monetizing All This is 
Let's just put this in perspective once again. It's just now that I got your attention. Because I'm not sure everyone... You guys looked a little glazed over when I started, but now everyone looks pretty locked into what we're discussing. Okay? People spend their lives doing inane jobs that don't mean anything to them in order to finally have time to do what they care about. Time and money to afford what they care about. But you can actually just forego all that and just do what you care about. You can just do what you care about all the time. And you it's almost sure you'll monetize it. Like eventually people are just going to say, hey, that's something important. It might be a pure contribution that, that, will, that will come because you can create a 501c3 and be the primary benefactor. A 501c3 is a tax-deductible organization. Meaning if it's something that's just not appropriate to be making money off of, meaning it's of purely spiritual nature, you can create a 501c3 and pay yourself $150,000 a year. And you can raise your own salary. From who? From all the people who recognize that contribution, which will be one in ten, but that's okay. For every hundred rich people you meet, you know, 10% of them are going to be like, oh my gosh, like, where have you been all my life? Like, I, I keep giving to, like, my local shul, which, you know, it's fine. I don't mind paying the dues, but I've been giving them much more than dues because I don't know what to do with my tzedakah money. And then you waltzed into my life. Like, you're my man. You know, like, I'm busy working, i got a more or less meaningless life, and you're doing exactly what I would have been doing if I had only had the courage. So thank you for doing what you do. And then, you know, then you're, next thing you know, you're, you're running your own 501c3. So if you have a contribution that doesn't have a natural monetization just because it's spiritual in nature, maybe, or, or it just would be somehow inappropriate to be asking for money for that, so there's nothing wrong with creating a 501c3. And by the way, there might already be a 501c3 out there, either for sale. You can buy their 501c3, which they won't sell for a lot. And meaning if it's defunct, they're not going to sell it for a lot. And the other is that you can, um, you can find another one that's functional and say, yeah, I'm, this is what I do. Can I join your thing and get on salary? And they're like, of course. Like we, we're allowed to pay up to you know, 50 people. We're paying two. So you'll be the third person with a salary in our 501c3. I have a feeling yours is probably, there's several 501c3s on yours. And you can just immediately get salaried for that. And then maybe you don't have to do what you're doing the other time. You know, you can go full time on this if you love it. Oh, nursing's very important. Yeah, that's a good contribution. Yeah, I forgot, sorry. Yeah, so anyway, but you can monetize. I already gave you the secret of saying yes, meaning doing everything for free till people need you so badly that they're going to have to start paying you. Um, yes, and the other is you speak to someone who knows how to monetize things. I counsel a lot of people monetizing. Um, someone want to give me a random one and I'll, I'll see what comes up from monetizing it. Anyone got a random contribution? Nobody? Okay, you got one? No. Okay, whoa! It's 420. I got to go back to the zoo. There's no class after mine? <laughs> Nickmeyer's coming? Maybe he's spaced out. Okay, everyone. Shalom. Be well. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.